0: Father, we love and thank you for your great grace. We thank you that you are the God who moves mountains. You are the God who makes a way where there is no way. You, Father, may ask us to do things we don't understand or go places and and and, and our obedience is not about our understanding, but it's about you. You ask us to do things that we don't have the strength to do, but it's not about our strength. It's about yours. So I pray, Father, that you would help us. As we seek you in your word today, may your spirit be the one who speaks. Help us to listen. And may you be glorified in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we return to the book of James, remember it was written by Jesus' half-brother to the churches that had been scattered due to persecution. We would do well to be reminded of the practical nature of the book and how James is writing with the intent of helping us to grow in our faith into spiritual maturity. In chapter 1, we discussed trials, temptations, and being doers of the word and not hearers only. And, of course, the importance of asking for wisdom when we need it. In chapter 2, we covered not showing favoritism and the fact that our faith will be demonstrated by our works. You say you have faith, or I have faith and you have works? Show me your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. In chapter 3, we were confronted with what our speech Should look like as followers of Christ, and what wisdom from God looks like. It's a great connection. Chapter one, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who will give to all liberally and without reproach. Chapter three, the wisdom that's from God, right, is pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruit. So we're told to ask for wisdom, and then a little while later we're told what that wisdom looks like. Might seem odd to us because it was broken up by weeks of time. But for James Reader, he would have read that he or she would have read that all at once, right? The letter was meant to be read in one go. In chapter four, or the first half half of chapter four, where we were at a few weeks ago, we looked at pride, humility, repentance, drawing close to and submitting to God, in order to resist the devil. Today. As we move forward in James chapter 4, we're going to talk about judgment and boasting. You ready? James chapter 4, verse 11. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. So we're going to start off by talking about speaking evil judgments, which is what verse 11 and 12 talks about. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? So as we begin today, James' exhortation to not speak evil of or judge a brother. This is, of course, in line with what we talked about back in chapter 3, verse 10, concerning our speech that out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing my brethren, these things ought not be so. It's important for us to note that James is speaking to believers here. The exhortation is to not speak evil of or judge a brother. While this is specifically speaking to the church and our relationship with one another, I think it applies to the whole human family because of the context of chapter 3, Verse nine, where we're told that we are to use our speech to bless our God and Father, but at the same time we use it to curse men who have been made in the similitude of God since this is the command for the way we speak to and about one another, how much more should it apply within the church family, the body of Christ all right we're commanded don't speak evil or uh, don't curse people who are made in the similitude of God, doesn't matter who they are. Yet here we are, as brothers and sisters in Christ. Shouldn't it apply more here? And I don't think we do this. I don't, I don't know. You get Anybody here spreading nasty rumors about me? Don't raise your hand if you are. Uh, <laughs> I was just a test. Somebody's like, oh yeah, I did. Oh wait, no, no, I didn't do that. Do not speak evil or judge a brother. Now, the word for brother here is in the masculine in Greek. However, it speaks of any close relation. So it's like, well, I can't speak bad about John, but I could speak bad about Pat if I wanted to. No, that's not what that means. right? Brothers and sisters are included. It's anybody you're close to. The phrase for speak evil here refers to slander or speaking against someone while the word for judge means to decide condemn, or punish. I was reading a book recently. I've joined, I got a membership to this app called Lucid. I don't know if any of you have heard of it. It's very cool. Um, Basically, they take books and they condense them down into their main ideas and use visuals to help you remember those main ideas. So it allows me to read uh, anywhere between, uh, I've I think I've averaged probably about three books a week that way, which has been fun. It gives me something to do on my phone besides looking at social media because I'm trying to get rid of that. Um, I've already got it cut way back, but you know, blah, social media, just cancer on our society is what that is. I mean, it's fun. Like, I posted pictures of the snow and crested butte yesterday, and people are like, oh, it's so pretty. And then you start scrolling, and you're like, I just shut it off, and I go read a book. Anywho, I read a book, and, and I, had, I was recently challenged by a, a leadership podcast I listened to, to read books you disagree with. And I thought that was really interesting, right? They, they, the person said, always come back to the word of God. This is true. And if you read a book that you know you're going to disagree with, keep in mind that the word of God is true, but it, it will give you an idea of what other people are thinking about. I was like, oh, that's interesting. So I've taken up this challenge that I I will pick one book off of Lucid uh, that I already know I'm going to disagree with before I even start and read it anyway. So the book this week was a book called The Elephant in the Mind. I don't know if any of you have heard of it. Probably not. Uh, I had never heard of it, but when I read the description, I'm like, oh, I already know I'm going to hate this. So (laughs) I read it anyway. The Elephant in the Mind that it talked about was... Selfishness, And it said, well, nobody wants to admit they're selfish, but the, the premise of the book is it's really good for you to be selfish. That was the premise of the book. That's how I knew I was going to disagree with it, right? Because the Bible tells us the opposite. What The Bible teaches us to be selfless, to serve others, to put the needs of others ahead of ourselves, to be humble. This book said, no, be selfish. It's okay to be, the whole book was about it's okay to be <laughs> selfish. Give you a really good idea about where our culture's headed, that this book got published and is doing well. I say all of this because one of the suggestions that the book makes, and I'm dead serious, it wasn't just talking about it like this happens, it was a suggestion, is that you purposely slander other people. The reason the book gave for this is that if you slander someone else, you do two things. One, you build yourself up in the eyes of other people, because you're not bad. Right? That person's bad. I'm good, because I can see how bad they are. Right? So you build yourself up in the eyes of others, and then two, you subject the person you're slandering to some kind of social punishment. Because the more people you tell them, or the more people you slander them to the more likely that those people will cut ties with them or start treating them differently. And so you, 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 sub, you subject them to some sort of social punishment. Now, that this does happen in our culture, I wouldn't argue, right? This does happen. You see this happen, right? Oh, did you hear about so-and-so? Uh, in, in the church, we go, oh, I've got a prayer request. Now, don't, don't share this, but we need to pray for so-and-so because, you know, they're, they're off doing drugs and cheating on their wife. Um, that's, that's not a prayer request. <laughs> that's a person who needs to be talked to. But we do see it happen. But the fact that this book suggested it boggled my mind. And now, I don't believe in coincidences. I think you all know that already. Uh, I know I've probably said it in the past. It was interesting to me that I picked up that book on the week that I was preaching on this. Do not speak evil... Or judge a brother. Don't slander someone or condemn someone. Now, that's what the Bible tells us. Whereas this book that I read actually suggested that you do that very thing in order to improve your status within your social circle. How different the world is from us. Or at least how we're supposed to be. How different what the world teaches compared to what God is teaching us in his word. We have beautiful other scriptures, Proverbs 11, 12, and 13. It's foolish to belittle one's neighbor. A sensible person keeps quiet. A gossip goes around telling secrets, but those who are trustworthy can keep a confidence. So we're told the negative. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. What's the positive? Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. All right, that's a command for the negative. But what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. What's supposed to come out of our mouths is what will build other people up and impart grace to them. And you know, even if somebody does need to be confronted about a sin or does need to be confronted about something that they've done that's hurt you or is incorrect, it can still be done in love. It can still be done in such a way that you build that person up as opposed to tearing them down. And so this is a simple command for us. One that the Bible is very clear about. So then he goes on and says, don't judge the law. So not only are we not to judge people, but we're not to judge the law. Because if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but the judge, and there's only one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. Who are you to judge another? So then it brings it back around. Don't judge people. Don't judge the law. There's only one lawgiver. Who are you to judge another? So he kind of makes a circle with it. We judge the law when we speak evil of others because we try to make ourselves the one who can determine who is worthy of judgment. Does that make sense? We judge the law when we judge others because we try to make ourselves the one who can determine who is worthy of judgment. Now, we can proclaim what the Bible says. The Bible says a lot of things. Like today, the Bible is telling us not to judge others. So I'm proclaiming to you what the Bible says. The Bible tells us not to slander and gossip. So I'm proclaiming to you what the Bible says. The Bible tells us a lot of things. Right? You're only going to go to heaven by Jesus Christ. Did you hear about the pastor who got um, put on trial? I want to say it was in England for preaching that. Right? They said it was hate speech. Right? He didn't preach anything hateful. All he said was that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, and they said that's hate speech. It's the truth. I don't care if you don't like it. I know you all like it. But if somebody's listening and say, "Well, I don't like that. There's many ways to God." Well, everyone is going to stand before God, but there's only one way to eternal life, and that's through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says other things, right? The Bible says lying is a sin. Well, a little while I know lying's a sin. The Bible says murder is a sin. Well, but you know, no murder's a sin. The Bible says adultery is a sin, or homosexuality is a sin, or should we keep going? The Bible says judgment is a sin. Our concern should not be with condemning others, but with obeying the word of God. This is why we're told in James 1.22 that we should be doers of the word and not hearers only. In passing judgment on others, we're trying to make ourselves the judge. And the one who applies the law to other people. And that's not our job. God wants us to obey His Word and leave the judgment to Him. Now, there's a couple things that this does not mean, and there's a couple things this does mean that I want to add for clarity. One, this does not mean we cannot proclaim the Word of God. I've had people say that to me. When I've said, well, homosexuality is a sin, well, you're being judgmental. No, I'm reading Romans chapter 1. That's not judgment. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. I'm not condemning that person. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. It doesn't mean that we cannot confront sin. If you see sin in my life, come and talk to me. Maybe I missed it. Maybe I'm being stubborn and not repenting of it. Maybe I need someone to smack me upside the head and say, hey, stop being an idiot. I promise to do that for you. But if you see sin in someone's life... The Bible tells us that if you turn a brother from their sin, you've saved them. The Bible commands us in Matthew 18, if your brother sins against you, go talk to your brother. If he won't listen, take two other people with you. Go talk to your brother. If he won't listen, take him before the church. We are commanded in Scripture to confront sin. Not to pretend it's not there. God didn't pretend it wasn't there. He sent his son to die for it. That's not judgment. That's love. Oh, now our society doesn't see it that way. Oh, you can't tell someone they're a sinner. That's just condemnation and and, and you're being judgmental and you're being hateful. No, I love you. That's why I tell you about sin. That's why I will confront you in your sin. Because I don't want to see you or me endure the consequences of that sin, especially the ultimate consequence, which is eternal separation from God. I don't want that for you. I really don't want it for me. I'll be be honest. I I want it for me even less than I want it for you. But I don't want to see anybody go to hell. God didn't want to see anybody go to hell. That's why he sent his son. That's why he made the way. Third, it doesn't mean we can't have discernment based on the fruit of someone else's life. Go read Matthew chapter 7. It starts off with, judge not, lest you be judged yourself. With the same judgment you used, it will be measured back to you. And then he goes on and tells us to look at the fruit of people's lives. Because if you look at somebody and they say, oh, I'm a Christian, but they're lying and they're cheating and they're stealing and they're whatever it might be, you can look at the fruit of their lives and go, you know, I'm, I'm not so sure that what you're... Because what you're saying and what you're doing don't match. That's not judgment. That's not condemnation. That's observation and discernment. And we need that discernment or we're going to get ourselves in all kinds of trouble. Because sometimes you meet somebody or sometimes you get invited to do something, right? If you don't know the number on your phone, use discernment. You probably shouldn't answer it. I do it all. Do you know how many times I've turned down my car warranty? I saw a great thing online the other day, right? I I try to stay off social media, but every now and then you find something funny. It says, if I see you broke down on the side of the road, I'm not going to stop and help. You have had multiple opportunities to renew your car's warranty that you turned (laughs) down. That's kind of funny. But the point is, sometimes you see the signs, right? You, You get the warning signs. You see that something ain't right with that business deal, or something's not right in that relationship, or something's not right in the way that other person is acting. It's not judgment. God gives us discernment. What it does mean, we don't get to condemn anybody. I can't look at anybody and say, well, you're definitely going to hell. I'm not saying I've never done that. I'm just saying we're not supposed to. Now, we can proclaim what the Bible says, that if you reject Jesus Christ, you will spend eternity separated from him. And if you receive Jesus Christ, you will spend eternity in his presence forgiven of your sins. That's proclaiming the word of God. That's not me condemning, because I can't condemn. What I would never do, I hope, never say never, but what I hope I would never do is look at somebody and say, I'm not going to share the gospel with them, because they're just going to hell anymore. There's no way around it. Now, there does come a point where you stop casting your pearls before swine. You share the gospel with a person enough, they threaten to kill you. (laughs) You stop sharing the gospel. Right? You move on to the next person. But uh, that's not my job. We can never put ourselves in God's place, there's only one lawgiver. There's only one person who's able to save, and one person who's able to destroy, and it's not me. And if you didn't know already, it's not you. God is the only one who is perfectly righteous, perfectly just. He is the only one who can offer salvation, and he does offer salvation through Jesus Christ to anyone who will turn from their sin and call on his name. God is the only one who can destroy or condemn because he's the only righteous judge. Salvation or condemnation, of course, is based solely on our belief in Jesus Christ. First John, or not 1 John, just John 3.18. He who believes in him is not condemned. It's simple. It's easy. You believe in Jesus? Great. You're not condemned. He goes on. He who does not believe is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Done. Who are you to judge another? In other words, we don't have a leg to stand on, therefore we should not judge. Romans 14.4, who are you to condemn someone else's servant? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall, and with the Lord's help they will stand and receive his approval. If you see somebody, you find yourself wanting to be judgmental, pray that God will help them stand. Verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, We shall live and do this or that, but now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Just like judgment is prideful, so is boasting about tomorrow. Assumptions can be deadly in our lives. James is warning us not to assume anything about tomorrow because we don't know what will happen tomorrow. And then he gives us the reason for this exhortation. First, you don't know what will happen tomorrow, so live in the present. Uh, One of my favorite people to listen to and read is Craig Groeschel. And he was talking about, in a message he did about being present in the moment, and he said something that made a lot of sense to me. We should not concern ourselves with the past, but trust God with it because we can't change it. It's it's over. It's past. And we should not concern ourselves with the future, but trust God with it because we can't control it. Can't change the past, can't control the future. So what should you do? Well, enjoy the fact that you're alive and in the presence of God right now. Jesus told us in Matthew 6, 34, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. That's true. You got plenty to I got to play pickleball this afternoon. Right? So, uh, Plenty to do today, so I'm not worried about tomorrow. Okay. I'm going to try not to worry about tomorrow. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 is a passage many of us are familiar with, that we should be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You know, God loves us right now. God is with us right now. God is working in and through us right now. And when we focus on the past or we worry about the future, guess what we're missing? We're missing right now. We're missing what God is doing right now. Now, I'm not telling you to to have an attitude where you don't plan for the future. Because there's nothing wrong with planning for the future. There's nothing wrong with being prepared. It's the Boy Scout motto. But don't be so consumed with tomorrow or next week or next month or next year that you miss what's right in front of you. Miss what you can enjoy of God's creation today. Miss who you can minister to and serve today. Miss who you can love and share the gospel with today. Oh, someday I'm going to go out and share the gospel. Some days today. Someday I'm going to have enough time to spend with my family. Someday is today. Someday I'm going to sit down and, and, and just really spend time with the Lord. That's today. What is your life? I like this question. makes you feel real good about yourself. What is your life? A vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes? Thanks, James. Life is short, guys. I'm 45. So I have a, a, a good friend of mine, a, a guy I grew up with. He turned 45 uh, in March, and I I wrote on his Facebook page, "Happy half ninetieth birthday." He was like, "Oh no, you didn't." <laughs> He's like, "Uh uh-uh, uh uh uh." I mean, because 45, you're halfway to 90. Some of you are halfway to a bigger number than that. But let's say you live for a hundred years, right? which most of us won't, but let's say you live to a, I really hope, I don't, I don't even want to make it I don't want to get close to 100, that's too many too many it's going to seem like it goes by quick doesn't it? I mean I'm 45 and it I was in elementary school yesterday got a son about to be 23 a daughter about to be 17 we're only a year and a few weeks away from all of our children being adults that's because my wife got old I don't know how that happened. I'm still, I'm, what I know, I'm joking. But in the grand scheme of world history, let's say you get that hundred years, let's say you accomplish all the things you hope to accomplish in your life in that hundred years. In the scheme of world history, that hundred years is nothing. And that's in, in, in comparison to eternity, it's even less. Or a speck that take up a speck of time on a speck of a world that's hurtling through an unknown, vast universe that God holds in the palm of his hand. What's your life? It's short. You guys feel good? I'm going to make it better. Psalm 90, verse 10. The days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they are 80 years, Yet their boast is only in labor and sorrow. For it is soon cut off and we fly away. Thanks! Right? You know how I like to identify those verses that need to be cross-stitched on pillows and put up in Grandma's house? Right there! Why doesn't Grandma ever put that pillow up? Here, year, 70, 80, it's all labor and sorrow and soon you're going to die. Thanks! Solomon. Made a great comment. If you read the book of Ecclesiastes, I recommend you read the last two verses first. Read the last two verses of the book of Ecclesiastes, then go back to the beginning, read the whole book, and then you get to those last two verses again. Because look at Solomon. He had a life of luxury, he also had a life of debauchery. He had everything he ever wanted, he got it all. And if you read the book of Ecclesiastes over and over again, what does he say? That it was vanity. That it was worthless. Till you get to the last two verses. Where he concludes his thought. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. The man who had everything, what was his conclusion Fear God, keep his commandments. Believe in him, follow him. Period. That's what matters. Jesus told us in Matthew 16, 26, what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Instead, what should we do? Instead of worrying about the future, obsessing about the past, instead of, Thinking that we have all the time in the world or assuming that we know what's gonna to happen tomorrow, what should we do? Well, if the Lord wills, we'll do this or that. Anything else is evil boasting. When I was a kid, my grandma used to say that. Oh yeah, we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna go on vacation to Ohio, my grandpa would say, and then my grandma would say, Well, Lord willing. When I was a kid, I was like, Well, what is that? What does that mean? Right? This is before I was a Christian, before I'd ever read the Bible. What does that mean? Well, that means we can make our plans, we can have desires, there's nothing wrong with that. But if the Lord's not willing, well, then he can stop it. Or if he's got something else for us to do, he can direct us and we should listen. Our attitude should be one of humble submission to the will of God. Anything else is arrogant, boasting, and evil. Right? Does that mean you shouldn't plan a vacation? No, you should plan a vacation. And if the Lord says, I don't want you to go there, I want you to go there, then you listen. Does it mean you shouldn't plan for the future? Of course you should plan for the future. But when you get there, you're going to find, like, you already know this. If this is a surprise to you, then we need to have a conversation. But what you're going to find is when you get there, it probably didn't turn out the way you thought it would. It probably didn't become what you wanted it to become. And that's okay. Because if you're submitted to the will of God, and you're approaching that with humility and trusting that he's the one in control, then who cares? I know, we care. But we shouldn't. We should just trust that he's going to take care of it. That's why Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all that you do, and he'll show you which path to take. Because if you're submitted to his will, then he's going to lay the path out before you. And you don't have to worry about the outcome." because he's already got it taken care of. Now to shift gears just a little bit as we close. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it's sin. Seems like an interesting verse to put there, after everything else we've talked about, about not judging, about submitting to the Lord's will. And James closes this section with a simple but profound observation, which we can take in connection to what we just read. To what we've read so far in the whole book of, uh, of James, to what we can put in the context of the Bible as a whole, that if you know to do good and you don't do it, it's sin. Whatever this therefore applies to, the statement cannot be underestimated. You see, we like to focus on sins of commission. Sins of commission. We focus a lot on the things that we do that we shouldn't do. These are sins of commission. When we do something wrong that is disobedient to the word of God, for example, from today, what we've talked about, what if we speak evil of or judge someone else, especially in the church? This is a sin of commission. We've done something wrong. If, if you go into the store and you, you take, uh, I don't know, a, a box of Whoppers, because Whoppers are really good, and we ran out the other day you guys know Whoppers, malted milk bowls covered in really fake oh. plastic-tasting chocolate. But what you do is you, you put the Whopper in your mouth and you wait till you suck all the plastic-tasting chocolate off so all you have is the milk ball left, and then you crunch it. That's good stuff, right? But maybe you don't have $2 and you really want Whoppers, so you take it and you steal it. That's a sin of co-mission. And we focus on that. But what about sins of omission? Take the off when we don't do something that God wants us to do, when we know how to do what is good, when we know how to do what is good, to do in a particular situation, and then we refuse to do it. We're told in Ephesians twenty four twenty nine. we read that earlier, that we're to speak words that are good for necessary edification, and that impart grace to the hearers. So when we slander someone... That would be a sin of commission. But when we fail or refuse to speak words of life, encouragement, or grace, that's a sin of omission. When we know we should be building somebody up, well, at least I didn't tear them down. No, you didn't tear them down. At least I didn't slander them. At least I didn't lie about them. But God wanted you to speak life. God wanted you to speak grace. God wanted you to be encouraging, and you wouldn't. That's a sin of omission. When the Holy Spirit nudges you to share the gospel with somebody, and you don't, that's a sin of omission. I could make a list. Because we could point out a lot of examples. Intentionally causing harm is wrong, but so is not causing good. Hating someone is wrong, but failing to love them is as well. Stealing is wrong, but so is the failure to be generous, as God commands. Humble obedience and submission to the will of God, revealed in the word of God, is required of us by God, who empowers us to do so through his Holy Spirit. This is true whether he's commanding us to not do something, like don't lie, or he's commanding us to do something, like share the gospel or love our neighbor. Doing something we are not supposed to do is sin. Not doing something that we are supposed to do is sin. And whatever you do, according to First 1 Corinthians 10.31, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So I was sitting there thinking, well, how do I summarize this? I actually wrote it in the conclusion. How do I summarize what we've studied today? I think it could be as simple as this: don't speak evil judgment of others. That's God's job, He'll take care of that. Don't make assumptions about or worry about the future, but humbly submit to the Lord's will. By the power of God's Spirit, obey His word, both in what we don't do and in what we should do, seeking to give Him glory in everything. Seems simple. But that's because it is simple. Simple doesn't mean it's easy. Simple doesn't mean it will always be pleasant. doesn't mean it will always be fun. But following the Lord, submitting to his will, obeying his word, and resting in him for the future is simple. It's not complicated. When we rest in Jesus and we follow his ways and we trust in his power, he'll help us move forward. Not always easy, but not complicated for sure. He didn't want it to be complicated. He knew that He created us. He knows that our brains don't always work. He knows that we let emotions get in the way, so He didn't want to make it complicated. Did you want to know which way to go? Follow me. I'm going that way already. Now, of course, none of this works without a living and growing relationship with Jesus got a small crew here today, and I know you all, and I believe you all know Christ as Savior. I'm very grateful for that. If I'm wrong, let me know, and we'll talk about it. But if there's anybody watching online or anybody listening to the recording later and you don't know, send us a message, leave us a comment. We would love to talk to you about knowing Christ as Savior. He died on the cross for your sins and rose from the grave. All you got to do is believe in Him and have eternal life. And I don't want anybody not to know that. Number two... Is there judgment towards others in your life or in mine that you need to repent of and let go of? Remember, I'm not talking about proclaiming the word of God, confronting sin, being discerning. I'm just saying, is there somebody where you're like, well, I hate them and I hope they die and I hope they burn in hell and I'm not going to talk to them and I'm not going to be nice to them and I'm not going to help them and I'm not going to listen to them. I don't care. I don't care. Do you got that going on somewhere inside? You wouldn't be the only one, but if you do, repent of it and let go of it. And then number three, what's your attitude towards life and tomorrow and your plans? Is it one of assumptions and boasting or is it one of humble submission and obedience to the will of God that's a That's a tough question. I know for me, I got a lot of questions. Lord, I want to know where I'm going. I want to know how I'm getting there. We were talking about this in Sunday school this morning. Lord, I want to know how you're going to work it out. I want to know how you're going to deal with it. I want to know how much money you're going to give me to get there. I want to know. 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 And God's like, relax. Kid, I got it. Nope. I refuse to relax. I refuse. I know you've got it, but still, I refuse. I must know. be still and know that I am God. Trust me. I'm going to take care of it. And then I go, Lord, I know you're going to take care of it. I believe you. Now tell me how. But I don't get to make those demands. Well, I can try, but he doesn't need it. He doesn't have to do anything with it other than smack me, which I, I sorely deserve. Number four, what is God asking us to do that we're not doing? Where are the sins of omission in our lives? And I want to leave you with this encouragement. Just take one step forward. Just take one step forward. Do so trusting in the power of God's Spirit and in obedience to his word. Just take one step forward. And once you do, trust God to help you take the next step Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 tells us that since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses that we should lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and that we should run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And then you have Philippians 1, 6. Philippians 1, 6, in case you didn't know, is my life verse. I got it tattooed on this arm right there. And I got it tattooed right there because it needed to be somewhere where I'd see it a lot. I'm that dense, folks, in case you didn't know. I'm certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Because it would be really easy to listen to all this and be really discouraged. Because I sometimes judge people. I sometimes make assumptions about tomorrow. I sometimes commit sins of omission. I omit, you know what I mean. My hand is up on all of them. My hand is up on at least one of them already today. I'm not going to tell you which one. You can guess. Because I'm not perfect. And you're not perfect, and that's okay. We keep moving forward in Christ. We keep seeking him. We keep letting his power work in our lives. And we keep moving forward. And one day, we'll get rid of this body. And the corruptible will put on incorruption. And death will be swallowed up in victory. And the imperfection that is our sinful self now will be gone totally and completely, as we're given a new body in Christ. One that doesn't hurt when you get up in the morning. Anybody? I've been groaning a lot lately. (laughs) One that doesn't get headaches. One that doesn't get tired. One that can eat all the cupcakes you want without gaining a pound. I'm just assuming. I don't know if that one's true. I'm just hopeful. And God's going to finish this work in us and bring us into his perfection. Until then, we walk in the victory that's ours in Christ, and yeah, we're going to make mistakes along the way, but he's going to love us, and he's going to walk with us. And if we fall in the mud, he's going to pick us back up, and he's going to help us move forward. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your great love for us. And I pray, Lord, that for each of us, whatever that step needs to be, help us to take it. If there's some repentance that needs to happen in our lives, help us, God, to lay those things down before you. If there's something that we're not doing that you really want us to do, and we're just not listening, or we're refusing to move forward because of fear, or because it doesn't mesh with our own plans, I don't know what it is. God, just help us to take those steps, to trust you, to rest in you, and to know that you're going to work in and through us. In Jesus' name we pray all for your glory.